Well, welcome to the Thinking Out Loud podcast live from the Thinking Out Loud panic room. Uh, this is our, our quarantine special, and I'm joined by two former guests, uh, Rex Harson and Dan Kent are with me today. And you can follow uh, Rex Harson at Rex Harson Films on Twitter. You can also go to uh, Amazon Prime to check out his documentary, Beating Guns. Uh, and you can also you can turn back the dial on the Thinking Out Loud podcast to episode 12. That's where Rex and I discuss uh, his documentary. And Dan Kent, you can follow him at that Dan Kent on Twitter. And you can listen to him talk to me, introduce me to some of the ideas and answer some of my preliminary questions about open theism on episode 24. And you can always hear more of him on talking to Greg Boyd on the podcast, Greg Boyd Apologies and Explanations. After I had you on, Dan, I started listening uh, to that podcast pretty regularly. It's nice and short, so it's easily digestible. Um, but I've been, I've been enjoying it. So, uh, but it's, I looked it up to make sure I got the name right today and it's Greg Boyd apologies and explanations. How do you feel about getting second billing there? Well, first of all, I mean, I, Greg is sort of like a, a hero <laughs> in, in, in my book and I'm the one who came up with the title for the show. So I, okay. uh, I've always viewed that as uh, Greg is the, the the battleship and I am the barnacle. So <laughs> I, I am just riding on Greg's coattails there. And, and really, too, I mean, the podcast is meant to be a platform for Greg to share his thoughts because he is, um, I think, a, a theological genius. And um, and he, I mean, you just kind of, you've listened to the podcast. I mean, I just, right. I I barely blow on the first domino and it's just this huge masterpiece domino <laughs> thing where he goes for five, 10 minutes, like as if he like pre-wrote everything out, you know, right, right. it's just this beautiful uh, thing. So yeah, Greg is um, uh, in my mind, um, one of the, the Christian superheroes. So, well, hang you're on, too humble. On, of a- yeah, yeah, yeah. You're too humble. <laughs> Cause I think if you, are you guys breaking bad fans? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, of you absolutely. guys more like Walt and Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, that's more of that. That's a more proper analogy for me than the Battleship yeah. and Barnacle, okay? You know what? I, I know that you meant that as a compliment, and, like, I can hear it that way, and I think Dan can hear it that way. But I bet there's a lot of people who also think about you and Greg as Jesse and Walter, but they don't mean it as a compliment. Oh, funny! Like oh, you guys are the yeah. you guys are the theological bad boys. I think in some circles, oh, weird. That's so weird. I'm like, I don't even like swearing. You know, <laughs> I'm such a. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's so strange to me. But yeah, you're probably right. I mean, open theism. Um, people get weird about that, and yeah. and you know, I, I understand. It's it's a different way of of looking at stuff. But um, yeah, so- you know, you know what else was different. Uh, germ theory was a very strange thing for a long time, and now it's kind of the standard belief about diseases. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> um, right. 
But speaking of germs and getting there, we are there uh, with <laughs> coronavirus, um, and we are we are sheltered in. Rex, you and your family recently welcomed your fourth child and your first son. Oh, yeah. um, so congratulations on that. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, happy for you guys. How are you guys making out without being able to like do your normal stuff outside? Well, it's pretty cool because I was on paternity leave anyway. So this is going to be some downtime for me, like regardless. And, um, you know, I mean, you really don't get a newborn out. I mean, you know, like for a while. So it's really hasn't really been too much of a shift in our lifestyle Um, at this moment. um, We're just enjoying it. I mean, we're just hanging around the neighborhood, walking around. I mean, there's like little you hit like a wave where it just gets a little weird, where it just feels a little overwhelming and unsure. But like mostly we're doing fine. I mean, we have a backyard the kids can play in and uh, we're trying to just come up with activities and just, I've taken it as an opportunity to, um, by not having that escape of like leaving the house or whatever, of just like trying to take it as a, as a growth, like a a growth period where I can just grow to like, grow try to grow in my patience and try and I don't, i'm not saying i'm like succeeding yet i'm just saying like <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. my goal is to like try and be more patient and by not having the option of like going away and going to kickboxing or whatever it's like working through the hard emotions or hard times that i might be going through so yeah. i'm just looking at it like an opportunity yeah i've i've been trying to to look at it in the same way like I went through and I've talked about it some on the podcast, but like last summer went through just like a, a down spell in like my mental well-being and uh, like saw a counselor and, and all that. And a lot of it revolved around like my relationship with my kids. And uh, I'm just like, if this happened, then I would have been in a much worse place. So one, I'm just trying to see like the grace and the, that this happened when it did and not, a few months ago, but also that this is a time for me to like really just lean into presence with my kids and, um, and growth in all areas, like to lean into spiritual disciplines that, you know, even when my life goes back to normal, I want to leave, or if it goes back to normal, I don't know. But if, if it were to go back to normal tomorrow, I want to leave like this period better than I came into it. And with tools at my disposal that I'll be able to use at all times, not just when, you know, our state is in a, uh, shelter at home, uh, state of emergency, but even when life is quote unquote normal. Um, uh, so been trying to do that. And like you, Rex, I can't say that I'm necessarily succeeding, but it is a day by day battle for sure. Um, Dan, you, you guys are obviously, uh, juggling a lot. And I get that too, because we are at our church. Like, how do we do church? How do we do ministry in this time? How are you guys faring with all of that? Well, you know, this last Sunday, uh, we did our first live stream on YouTube and um, I thought it was a smashing success. And Greg is starting to get more comfortable uh, doing his thing in front of a camera instead of in front of a thousand people. So It's weird not having that feedback, you know, uh, it's, you know, some people get nervous talking in front of large crowds and other people get nervous with 
nobody in front of them. Right. So, um, but Greg, uh, I thought did a great job this last week. And then the other thing we did is we had this Q and A, and at the end, and that was really fun because people sent in questions and there was some engagement there. And yeah. um, and so we're trying to think of creative ways to get people kind of engaged. And and uh, I, I'm actually the, as a coincidence, I'm teaching a class on the screw tape letters. Uh, on okay. Zoom, and it's a just a five week class, and uh, boy, I, there's like 65 people in this class, and they're just like, oh, thank God, I can, you know, talk to other theologically minded <laughs> people, and yeah, yeah. I've just been sitting in my house with a bunch of people who, you know, who read Harry Potter, and it's like, you know, they want <laughs> some depth, and and so it's been really fun. We're we're trying to find more creative ways to, and we've got a big following all over the world, so it's not like. Um, you know, this is something that we're trying to get better at anyway. So, right. Right. Yeah. But I tell you what, Dave, you said something that, that is, has been a big part of our, uh, theological approach to this coronavirus and the kind of stay at home orders. Uh, and that is, you know, what are you doing during this that will make you a better person when you come mm-hmm. out the other side? And I think that that's a, a really great spiritual way to look at the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think all of us, right. Like our, some people have a lot more time. Some people have a lot less time. Uh, mm-hmm. But like our schedules are dramatically different than they were, uh, I don't what, five days ago, seven days ago. Uh, yeah. And like they're, they're changing hourly. And so, yeah, d- that just really struck me was like, okay, like I need to be prepared spiritually for anything. Like I can't just when again like life is quote unquote normal i can't just ride on that because that was gone <laughs> very quickly and so uh what are some some muscles that i can work out and some spiritual disciplines that i can put into place that will last longer yeah hopefully hopefully people are are taking that that in um dan i did i wanted to pick your brain a little bit and we have we're here to talk about the movie, the Joker, but who knows when we'll get to that in the podcast. (laughs) Um, especially since you just talked about Harry Potter, I feel like you're going to anger a lot of people. You're Uh bad mouthing Harry Potter. You said, (laughs) Hey, I love Harry Potter. This is the second. Yeah. I'm already mad again. I'm like, you don't think Harry Potter is deep. (laughs) I love (laughs) Harry Potter. (laughs) I love Harry Potter. Okay. All right. So we got the Harry Potter fans off your back. The Joker's, Joker fans can come later. Um, but as I, so I had you on the podcast, we talked about open theism before. And um, for me, the framework that I grew up with was uh, I grew up Arminian. I went, I grew up in like a United Methodist church, but then uh, all throughout high school and through college went to more of like a reformed was in more of a, like a reformed setting. And I would say during those years, definitely took on more of like the reformed theology and uh, thinking about God as um, someone who is completely sovereign over present and future events um, and kind of controlling all things. Um, And then as I kind of, maybe this says something about those institutions I was a part of, because I feel like every year I've been removed from them, I've been less reformed in my theology. Mm. Um, And as I've dug into scripture and have read more broadly, some of the, I feel like the open theism ideas have seeped into the way I think. But then like this crisis, this global health pandemic happened and like my life really is turned upside down. And, uh, 
Rex, you said like there are moments where it does hit you and it's overwhelming and you know i can be playing outside with my daughters and things are fine but then i check my twitter feed and you see how many people are dying all over the world and it is just overwhelming and i find myself going back to the things that i knew that well god has a plan for this that um rex i even saw you posted something about uh like people who are talking about god brought this uh to teach us something. And I don't know that my brain has gone there, but I'm like, well, God, God knew this was going to happen. And so God is going to work us through it. Like, but then I keep thinking about you, Dan, and I don't know how to think about it. And I feel like you're messing with my brain. So I blame you for real quick. Yeah, yeah. No, Go ahead. Just real quick. Cause I don't think you finished what my post was about. Cause I'm saying that God, didn't make this happen <laughs> yes yes i'm okay. sorry I did, <laughs> yes, I did not want to misrepresent your thoughts so no, it's okay it's uh, okay I, I'm yeah. yeah so so dan how what is comforting you in this time because I, I get that it is not comforting to say that god brought this about right like i get how that can be unsettling and weird and like that's a distorted view of the person of god but yeah I I would be lying if I said I'm not finding comfort in the idea that God knew this was coming and has a plan for us through it. Yeah. Does that gel with like how you're thinking or how are you you thinking? Well, I, I think that, um, boy, there's a lot to say. Let's say a couple of quick things, though. Uh, first of all, to, to Rex's point, and I, I didn't read Rex's tweet, but I do think that there are lessons to learn in this situation that God can steer his his people to. Uh, one of the things that Greg was just talking about, we were we were giving out food at the food shelf today and and we you know we had some spare time, so we're waiting for you know families to come and get food and and we were just kicking around sermon ideas and uh, he said that one of the things that he's really realizing that this virus is helping him realize, is just how interconnected everybody is. And that this whole idea of individualism, you, you see the lie of individualism uh, with this virus because we are all connected and what, what each of us does affects the other person. And so I absolutely think that uh, uh, the, God can teach us valuable lessons with this virus, even though, like Rex said, God did not bring this virus. This is of the devil. Um but in terms of comfort, you know, uh, what comforts me is is that Jesus uh, promises that he has overcome death. Uh, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, uh, you know, death is, it right now is in the hands of, of Satan. He holds the keys to death, and but Christ has overcome uh, Satan and he has overcome death. And so even though we're going to die, that's not something that we have to be afraid of. And the apostle Paul says that God has things in store for us that kind of trivialize the, the sufferings that we're experiencing now. And, um, and I think what for me, uh, the virus does is it, it takes away a lot of our routines. It takes away a lot of the things that we enjoy in the world and, you know, like for instance, I every day I go to Starbucks, I get a double espresso and with four pumps of vanilla, and then I pour it into my little almond milk. And I just that's I love starting my day that way. Well, now I can't go in to Starbucks um, with my little personal cup. I have to go through the drive-through, and I can't get the drink the way I want that way. And it's just boy, it really sucks, you know. And and you get these little comforts that you have, and then you get those taken away, and it hurts. And um, 
and I think some things we we get so uh, like C.S. Lewis said, we work our way into the world, but then we realize at some point that it's the world that has worked its way into us, mm. and and a virus like this totally disrupts our routine and shows us just how how much the world had worked its way into us, and um, and so uh, the way I look at it from a spiritual discipline is I need to find uh, my center in Christ and I need to put all of my hope in Christ, and I have to uh, you know seek comfort in what. Uh, Jesus offers, uh, not in what the world offers, um, and so those are those are some of in, in terms of comfort that that's that's where I find comfort because the fact is is that um, we're still going to die, and you know even if we don't get the coronavirus, um, we could you know fall down the stairs and break our neck on Thursday of next week and never even have the coronavirus. I mean, we're, that's just another option that Satan has to end our, our time here. And, um, and so whether there's a coronavirus or not, we all have to come to terms with, with death. And, uh, the coronavirus is just sort of, uh, amplifying that need right now. Right. Yeah. I, I appreciate those thoughts and I definitely, I, I resonate with them. We actually, we just lost, um, one of the girls in my, uh, youth group, her grandmother, uh, who was her primary caretaker, uh, passed away and unrelated to, uh, the coronavirus. but it is in the midst of this loss. Like that is not the only way that uh, the coronavirus is not the only way that we, uh, face our mortality, that yeah. we all come to grips with that. Um, Dan, and, you, Dan, I'm sorry, Dan. I keep interrupting. No, yeah, I'm sorry, you're good. We can't see each other, so <laughs> just just go ahead. Yeah, Dan, you posted something really good about it, like bringing to light like our fear of death and then our love of money. Or I'm paraphrasing yeah, badly, but like I, yeah, I remember was, seeing that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's good. Like, because it's like, and I, I, I've just gotten to a point where I'm just trying not to like be like another person, just like slamming you know Donald Trump all the time. Yeah. And I don't oh, man, really think I, that it's say what yeah. I, I appreciate that so much because as much as I don't like Donald Trump, I, I just don't think that it's effective or useful in any way. All of the slamming and it's uh, and part of the reason why I tweeted that was because I I was getting you know there's so many people who this you know I've worked with geriatric patients before and the most traumatic experience that geriatric patients had was war. Yeah. Um, but the second most traumatic experience that they had was the depression. And I get these, I, I remember working with these, these people, many, I mean, many, many, many people who they're, they have Alzheimer's disease. They're so far into their Alzheimer's disease that they can't, they don't recognize their spouse. They don't know their spouse's name, but they still remember to take the sugar packets off the table and to hoard the crackers yeah. because they're just that so traumatized by the depression and and i i see people who are like hey we gotta we gotta take care of the economy and then we get christians who are saying you love money more than people and it's just like you know maybe there are some people who love money more than people and they just all they care about is getting rich but i think there's a lot of people who just genuinely realize that a a, a a depression is is a horrifying thing, and yeah. and so I just appreciate the trying to work our way through this without attacking other people. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think 
certainly Donald Trump and many other people, everyone else has their idols, right? That they, yeah. they worship. But I think what I appreciate about what you just said and the thing that you tweeted, Dan, was like, you're not attacking people, you're attacking idols. And yeah. I think as the people of God that like, that's what we need to do. And, and frankly is hard for me to do at times that it's a lot easier to attack the idolater than it is to attack the idol because sometimes it's just it's my idol too and so i'd rather attack the idolater than admit to worshiping the same thing um but at other times it's just obviously the money uh does not have a uh, White House briefing every day. And so it's not in front of my face. Um, so it's easier to attack what is seen and what is upfront and obvious. Um, but I did, I, I appreciate that, that take. And I, I too have been trying to, from the very beginning of hopefully before this, but especially since like the coronavirus outbreak, like trying not to make this about Donald Trump or even about politics as much as I can not be a part of that, like I want to do that. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I've been been trying to do that as best I can. And even Dan, as you were talking like about the, where you get your hope from. And um, I just thought about Romans eight and uh, th these present sufferings aren't worth comparing to um, what we have uh, in store for us, the glory that we have uh, set before us. And like, and, and this idea of God working all things together for good, which is often used by uh, those who are more reformed, but like the, that's to me, that is more of an invitation that mm -hmm. we get to be a part of this thing that is so terrible. We get to be a part about of turning that into something good for those who love God and even for those who don't. And I think if we can turn it into something good for those who don't, they will learn to love God because they'll, they'll see who God, they'll see the heart of God in how we respond to this. Um, and so that I, it's a little bit hope, but it's like a mission in the midst of this chaos. Um, and that's something that I've been trying to hold on to and even think through for myself personally, for my family and for our church, like how do we help turn, uh, you know, God's word says that all things work together for good. Uh, so, for those who love him. So how can we do that? How can we work this for good for those who yeah. love him? It, it's hard yeah. to not see it though. It, it's hard to not see this as the idolatry of the booming economy, like crashing down because it's like for as long as, you know, evangelicals have been supporting Donald Trump, like it keeps on getting brought up. Well, look at the economy, look at the economy, look at the economy, look at the economy. And then in like right. two weeks, it's wiped out. I mean, yeah. like everything that has been gained since the recession is like gone, you know, and I, I mean, I think it's going to rebuild. I mean, like there's I mean, you kind of get to a point you can pretty much only go up. Hopefully we've already gotten there, but it's like you never know. I mean, like this could go on for a while and we just keep getting lower. But it's yeah. like it's it's kind it's got to be a wake up call for people who've just been like, you know, just basically just glossing over all of this stuff that Trump is sort of stands for. And that, yeah. that has just been like, he's just gotten a pass for because of the, well, well, we'll look at the economy and look at the judges he's appointing. And then it's just like, yeah. oh, that's gone. Like, yeah. I mean, it's hard to see it any other way for me. Um, right. And, but I'm also like, 
it's also like you see all these people panicking and going crazy and it's like well where were y'all like now what about y'all's apathetic like attitude towards like people coming to our border like what do you think they were running away from they were running away from you know much worse situations than we're in right now so it's like i'm really having to practice grace in my heart um Mm. for people who have just been very very apathetic who are now like kind of panicking um Mm. but i also do think like i don't and i don't want this to be like an opportunity to criticize as much as it's an opportunity for us like as a people including myself to like repent and turn towards God and be like, okay, like, like how can we move forward from this? Yeah. 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 And I think, uh, again, uh, I think for me, that is one of the things that I want to take from it, but I hope that uh, the spirit of God is at work in, in our nation to reveal our idols to us and to open our eyes. I think for so many, uh, I think for all of us, our eyes are closed to, what we are worshiping that is not God at some level or another. Some have been are deeper into it than others, but I hope that this is a wake up call that we do see that we've been worshiping what, what we have called God, the God of the Bible, but it has been something else, whether it is the economy and money, or it was just the security that we find in, uh, in our government, in a uh, political party or whatever. Um, in our good fortune of not having a pandemic, a global pandemic. Um, but that's where we've really been worshiping. And hopefully this does turn us back to God. Yeah. Um, good. Yeah. So uh, obvious, no easier seg- segue than that to go right into the Joker. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think we've set up this conversation perfectly. Um, yeah, speaking of hopelessness, <laughs> there it is. So uh, <laughs> let's, uh, we are just going to take that that sharp turn. Uh, I oversaw a uh, an epic Twitter fight between Dan Kent <laughs> and Rex Hartson. Uh, the fact that they are agreeing to be in the same place, uh, even virtually, is is surprising to me. Um, <laughs> hey, did you know, Dave? Did you know that uh, in his movie Beating Guns, I I am in the credits. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah. So yeah, Rex and I are we're good buddies. So yeah. <laughs> I. I and I was so honored by that because I'm the type of guy who, when the movie is over, I read the credits. I look at what the credits have to say. I and actually, when I saw my name there, man, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. That'll actually, make up for the picture I have of you on my wall that I've been throwing uh, <laughs> ever since you tweeted. So, um, so I, I actually, I'm one of those guys too who watches the credits. I'm always looking for. Um, Specifically, I would like to see a David Hallahan, but I'm always looking for my last name. Just are there any other Hallahans out there um, who are specifically in film, uh, the film industry? But I haven't found one yet. I actually haven't. Mm. Um, I'm about so to look maybe, that up for you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, it. I will appreciate it if you find one, but it's still not the same quite the same. I'll have to watch whatever movie it is, and there then I'll have go. to watch the credits so that yeah. I can see it. Um, so we are, we're going to talk about the Joker. Uh, it's not new anymore. Um, it's been out for quite some time now, but uh, the tweet in question, uh, I have it on my screen right now. Uh, Dan, you said, finally saw the movie Joker. If hopelessness could have sex with personality disorders, they'd have to classify this movie as pornography, which, <laughs> <laughs> which if nothing else, 
Uh, it's a good tweet. I will compliment your yeah your wordsmithiness there. <laughs> it is a good tweet, yeah. regardless of what you think about the movie Joker. Um, so kudos on that. Um, and Rex, you uh, disagreed. Is uh, it took you a while to even get to words? You disagreed through GIF for a yeah, while. Yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> there just weren't words for it. <laughs> there weren't words. Um, but you, uh, I gather. Uh, through the words you did use, um, we're quite a fan of the movie. Um, and so I want to get into it a little bit, but before we talk about some of like the, what actually happened in the movies, um, I, heading into it, like its release, I, there was a lot of talk before it was even widely, it was released to the general public. Um, I, I feel like we obviously all travel in Christian circles. And there was a lot of talk about, uh, this movie and it's, um, benefits or drawbacks, um, whether Christians should even go and see it. Like what, uh, is there, uh, any redeeming quality of this movie before it was even out? And, um, I remember reading one particular article that like, um, it, it was very clear that the author did not see the movie. Like she was explicit oh, about that, worst. which I thought was interesting, but um, she uh, likened this version of the Joker. And she also was like drawing on Heath Ledger's um, portrayal of the Joker in the dark Knight uh, a lot as well. So she wasn't just talking about something she hadn't seen, but kind of just this glorification of the character that is the Joker. Um, and she likened it to, um, Milton's uh, depiction of Satan in Paradise Lost and how um, like some people come away from it feeling empathy for Satan because it was a beautifully written poem and Satan kind of comes out as a sympathetic character rather than an evil one. And she kind of was saying, this is what's going to happen in this movie that's about to come out because it already started with The Dark Knight. Um, mm. And then even outside of Christian circles, just generally, I remember seeing a couple different articles that just were like nervous about it. Um, I think one of the things I remember a lot was Todd Phillips uh, being the director of it and him bringing us movies that maybe have some uh, quality, but are certainly much lighter <laughs> in subject matter with like the hangover and old school that Todd Phillips wasn't really the guy to handle such a weighty subject of uh, mental health. And, and so there was a ton of talk about this movie before it even came out. So before you tell me why you loved it or hated it, what, like, can you remember where were you at heading into the movie? Uh, had you been shaped by any of this talk or were you just like Joker movie? Joaquin Phoenix, I'm in. Uh, Rex, do you remember where you were at before you saw it? Um, yeah, I don't really read a lot before I see a movie. Like, I might read some after, but yeah. I like going in with pretty much a clean slate. I won't even, like, I'll watch a trailer one time and that's it. Yeah. So, yeah, I was pretty clean slate about it. I mean, I didn't have, I mean, I'd heard all that stuff, but, like, I just dismiss it. Like, I, yeah. yeah. I want to, like, and I mean, you guys, you'll understand. I mean, I'm sure y'all watch film as art too, but particularly for me, like it's like art, you know, it's like just gigantic art on the screen. And like, I just want to receive it and receive it like as purely as I can without all the hype and stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
just Dan, it sounds like you were in a similar place. Yeah, almost exactly in the similar place. I I usually I, first of all, I love trailers. <laughs> I I hate I hate missing the trailers when I go to a movie. I I love watching trailers, so I always will watch the trailer, and then um and then you know some of that stuff about you know there were like worried there were worries that the movie would uh, cause violence in the streets and stuff like that, and right. a lot of that stuff I just kind of roll my eyes and assume that the uh, movie studio is pumping some of that stuff out there. But um, yeah, I just, I like to just kind of like what Rex said. I just want to go see the movie and see what I think of it. Right. Um, all right. So you guys, but, Oh, Hey, are, let me say this. Hey, yeah, let me say ahead. one thing. I, however, grew up being a Batman fan and mm-hmm. uh, oh, that's, that was my, yeah, I just had tons of Batman detective comics and I had a uh, Batman number 100 which was just, I loved that. It was like so old that it was great. Um, And, uh, and I was also a sort of a nihilist uh, before I found Mm. Christ. And so I tend to lean nihilism. And so I saw the Joker and I thought, yeah, this is like right up my alley, you know? Mm. And, um, and so that's that I had that going into it also. Okay. Uh, This is a good background, but uh, sounds like you both were coming into it pretty clean, slated you didn't have any like preconceived notions going in um i uh, tip my cards i'm trying to play uh moderator as best as i can but um i did i have mixed feelings about it um and one of the reasons why i did not have a warm uh i did not receive it warmly was because of a lack of redemption in the movie um and i guess like a lot of the future story is uh assumed because this is an origin story of the joker and pick whatever batman you know storyline you want but you you know some sort of storyline about what happens next so i guess you could argue there wasn't need for a redemption story because that's what batman's for or whatever um but within like this movie itself there was no redemption. And uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, Brian Gadawa at all. Um, nope. No. He he works in films. Um, the movie uh, To End All Wars. Familiar with that one? No. no. Anyway, um, no, no need to keep trying to make you know who he is. Uh, he wrote this book called Hollywood Worldviews and uh, just kind of like talks about movies and stories and... Um, how movies work and why we're drawn to movies. And one of the things that he says in the very beginning of the book is that as humans, we are all drawn to story and movies are fundamentally about story and story is fundamentally about um, redemption. And I guess you can disagree with that premise, but I, I, that resonates with me. And so when I watched the story and there was no redemption, at least in my eyes, uh, it just left me wanting um, Rex as someone who I know disagrees at least in how good or not good the movie was um, like, did you find a redeeming quality in the story of the movie? Um, no, not really. But I, I would say that I disagree with like that premise that there yeah. has to be redemption because it's kind of like, like story is not about what makes a story work is not necessarily redemption. What makes a story work is conflict to me. Mm. Like that's what keeps you engaged. Um, and that's what I was taught in film school from like day one is like conflict, 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 conflict. Um, and it's kind of like, 
there's not really any redemption for, you know, King Saul, you know, in the Bible. Um, mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean his story is not important, you know, um, or Ahab or whomever. Like, there's still things we can pull out of those stories. So, like, I, I hear you. And I think I used to be there a little bit more. But I think maybe just since, like, my understanding of the world maybe has gotten a little more, like, <laughs> darker. And, like, I just understand that there is no redemption sometimes. It's just, like, I yeah. mean, the state of Alabama just uh, executed an innocent man. Um, Texas almost did. I mean, we know innocent people are being executed around us all the time. Um, and then plus the other just number of injustices that go on in the world that there is no redemption for, but that doesn't mean their stories don't need to be told. Um, Mm. so yeah, I don't really need necessarily redemption. Mm. Dan, I know this was actually the, one of the questions you asked about, uh, asked Rex about on Twitter was what redeeming quality did you enjoy about this story? So it sounds like some of your gripe was the story that there was no redemption. Yeah. Um, I would say a, a boy, a few things. Uh, first of all, I, I, I have to make it known that I totally respect Rex's opinion about movies. And, uh, he, um, he introduced me to the artistry of Buster Keaton and, um, <laughs> yes. and, and Rex, and, and I don't know if you mentioned this yet, but Rex makes movies and he makes really great documentaries. And, yeah. uh, and so, yeah. Uh, anyway, with that aside, I, I would say that, uh, you know, I agree that there are important things that we can pull from stories that, you know, that are unredeeming stories. I just don't know if we should make movies about them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I just feel like there's in another movie, in the movie, uh, as good as it gets, uh, the the character that that Jack Nicholson plays uh, says to the character that Greg Kinnear plays he's like trying to get help with this love problem he has and Greg Kinnear is doing his best to to help him out and and finally Jack Nicholson just throws up his hands and says I'm drowning here and you're describing the water it's like it, that's what that's what movies that don't have any redeeming quality they're just yeah humanity is drowning we're all suffering injustice and here's a movie that is just describing the water that we're drowning in but we need movies eventually that show us that we can swim that we can get to shore that we can do something other than just mocking the fact that I'm drowning and and that's that's kind of where I, I just so many movies are trying to be dark and and uh, gritty and like you know real and it's like I, I don't need real I have real I have gritty mm-hmm. I have dark I don't need any more of that and and so I guess that's kind of where I'm at is you know after living a life of darkness and grittiness and realness I I, I kind of want <laughs> something else in my movies but that makes sense to me yeah. like on a personal level of like because I like I get why it might not appeal you know, especially if you've got stuff that it like it links to, you know what I'm saying? Like I have stuff like that. Like there's just movies that like, like that I find no redeeming quality to. I mean, there's movies I absolutely hate, you know, (laughs) that somebody else like, uh, I think two years ago, one year ago, the shape of water, one best picture. Mm -hmm. I hated (laughs) that movie. (laughs) Like with a passion, hated it. I found Mm. nothing in it that I thought was like, even worth watching, hmm. but I don't know why. <laughs> so, so it's like I like I totally get that. Like the 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 reason the reasoning for maybe like not not enjoying it, you know? Yeah, hmm. yeah. Rex, what about 
it what about this movie as a as a film um or even as a story um were you so drawn to because it's not just uh you liked it a little bit more than dan um you said basically like you could write a whole book about how awesome this movie was um so what what was it about this movie that drew you in so the um i I went back and rewatched it last night Uh, my wife and i did and um i gotta say man i liked it even more the second time Mm. and (laughs) i really did and like what it is is this right and i i think we could keep it kind of like christ-centered like in like what i find kingdom in this film like just for the sake of i feel like that's all of our themes you know between the three of us like that's the world we live in you know so i mean i could talk about the cinematography being fantastic the music being from someone who is relatively an unknown composer just the music was incredible Mm um i mean the framing i mean the the uh the editing the sound i mean every technically it's just fantastic um and, and i don't like I don't like the hangover movies. I don't like, you know, any of the director's past work really. Like it was, this was out of nowhere for me. And, and I guess maybe I was a little skeptical cause like I wasn't like really all into his stuff, right. but, um, the, uh, and, and, and the usage of, by the way, before we get into this, but the usage of Charlie Chaplin, um, mm. and having him and his film and his presence be in that as a social commentary, which in the end, that's what this movie was for me. It was a social commentary and it was very much the same social commentary that Charlie Chaplin was making in the movie that you see on the screen. So, um, and, and in particular, I mean, this is one of the things that I kept running into and I was thinking about this. I was like, cause you guys are Christians and you guys are, are Dave, are you, are you a pacifist? Uh, yeah, you, you, you're there and Dan, you're a pacifist, right? Now, yeah. Yes. So, so you guys are pacifist. Y'all probably more pacifist than I am. I'm like almost there. <laughs> like I got a little <laughs> bit of like, I got a little bit of, I'm not quite there yet, but, um, well, I don't trust my own pacifism, but in right. theory, I'm a pacifist. Right. I would, yeah. I would say the same thing as an ideal. I hold to pacifism. Uh, but you know, like all the, the hypotheticals people throw at you when you say that, I bet you could come up with one where I'm not a pacifist. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, I, I, speaking of Batman, <laughs> I like to tell people I'm a Batman pacifist, which means like no killing. Like yeah. that's my line. But if yeah, like yeah. if I had to break somebody's arm or break somebody's leg in order mm-hmm. to keep another person safe and to keep that person safe from yeah. the damage that they would do to their right, own right. soul, so I would break their arm. You know what I'm saying? Like it's for their own good. good. Exactly. So it's like I'm I'm a no killing. I'm a Batman pacifist. <laughs> um, uh, or no guns. That's what it was. No, Batman, no guns, no killing. Like, those are his two rules. And I'm like, well, that, those are mine. So, um, but the, uh, and, and the, uh, the social justice aspect of it too, because I know both of you guys are, you're, you have deep thinking about social justice. Mm-hmm. Like, the way this tackled, like, really for me, pacifists, like, very heavy pacifist themes and the themes of social justice. I mean, this this film, to me, like, had it all. Um, to me, Arthur, you know, Joker, right. was, is the least of these. Like, that's who he is. When Jesus says, like, how you treat the least of these, that's how you're treating me. And you see, like, he wasn't evil. 
<laughs> he wasn't like uh like he had no mean intention it's like he was driven there by a continual mistreatment and having people just beat him down and him being the least of these so like i don't know i tend i don't know i was just so sympathetic to his character and there is a shift like when he goes dark it's like i have to break away from that and be like mm-hmm. okay like I understand why you get there, but now this line has been crossed and now I'm no longer with you. It's like once he crossed that line, I was no longer sympathetic, but it's like him getting there and him and realizing along the way that there's a few things that people could have done that would have kept them from being there. And I'm going to tell you the pivotal scene. This is the absolute pivotal scene for me is the scene in the bathroom with Thomas Wayne and Mm. It's because, like, he is at such a vulnerable point right there. And you have this rich, wealthy man who could step in and just show him a little bit of compassion. He could just, you know, he could comfort him. He could be understanding. It would have completely changed his trajectory. And what did he do instead? He punched him in the face. Mm -hmm. And that is what, that was really the point for him, in my opinion, that just, even though he'd already like killed people, you know, but those were like moments of like, kind of like just passion. I feel like he had, that was a point where he really turned. And I think it's, it's, you know, there's these themes of the lack of a father. I mean, he didn't have a father. He was so abused and it's like, you know, people live that way. I mean, people go through these levels of abuse and it's like, it's just this, this case study of seeing, that oftentimes people are not, they don't just choose to be evil. Like they're made that way. Essentially like just a series of things happen that drive them to that point. And then once they cross that line, then you have to deal with it. You can't like accept the evil, but like Thomas Wayne in that moment. And, and how did he do He, he dealt with him with violence. And truthfully, as much as I like Batman, like in the end, like his efforts are, they don't work. Because he tries to solve the problem by beating people up. You know, there's a brilliant thing, I think, in The Dark Knight Rises or in The Dark Knight. I can't remember where Alfred's telling him. He's like, hey, like, you could be fixing these problems with your influence and your money. And that's the truth. Like, he could. Like, he would do way more good if he was bringing people up out of, focusing on bringing people up out of poverty rather than going around at night beating people up dressed up. You know? (laughs) As much as I love the character, like, it's true. Like, he really is just... He's trying to solve things with violence, which is like someone, you know, as people who are pacifists, I mean, we have to kind of say, like, that's not how you solve it. So yeah, anyway, yeah. sorry, I went on for a while there. There's probably no, a lot. That's good. It's good stuff. Dan, did you, I, I want to give you, you guys are the ones fighting here. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> did you want to respond to that? Well, I don't remember. He had so many good things to say there, but I, I, I lost the original question. I did too. Sorry. <laughs> me, me too. Right. Oh, well, why, let me, I asked why Rex, I liked yeah. why, basically why he liked it. What about yeah. the movie drew him in is what I asked. Well, I mean, do you want me to say what drew me into the movie and what I liked about it? Sure. Yeah. I would love to hear yeah. what uh, you, the famed hater of this movie, liked <laughs> yeah. about it. <laughs> well, I just think uh, the Charlie Chaplin stuff was brilliant. I thought the uh, – I feel like – uh, Joaquin danced through the whole movie. 
Mm. And there was like a there was a dance to his movement and this the framing of the movie just I couldn't take my eyes off of it. And um and his uh uh the music was fantastic, but his his wardrobe was so great uh that I just I and you know there is sort of a um a chaotic depravity to him that it, it was just very intriguing and um and so just from a visual perspective I loved all of that stuff. Yeah. I I f- from a story perspective um I liked uh I liked you know thinking of Joker later on in in other Jokers and other narratives about the Joker I liked seeing that uh his the mentally ill mom and that relationship there was I thought um really well done. Yeah. Um and uh, some of the things that Rex said, I'm totally on board with as well. Um, the what was the Frank Sinatra song? That's life. That's life. God, that was yeah, a perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, that that song was so perfect for this movie, and uh, I almost wanted to download the song afterward, <laughs> just because I, I like that so much. But you know, um, should I say things that I didn't like about it? Yes, um, that's what you're here for. Okay, so, well, good. <laughs> what, so you pointed out some of the things that you liked, but then uh, your overall stance when you left the movie was not clearly you didn't go to Twitter to say these are the things <laughs> I liked about it. So, yeah, uh, what yeah, that- I, 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 I was a little disappointed in, in it uh, because I, and part of it is so personal. And like Rex said, you don't even know why. Um, I happen to know why I, I spent 20 years working in mental health, mm. working with, uh, uh, personality disorders, working with antisocial personality disorder, and mostly the primary personality disorder of our time. Uh, you know, 80% of people who are on mental health units, uh, is borderline personality disorder. And, uh, that's exactly what Joaquin's character you know, exemplified is borderline personality disorder, which has, you know, which is driven by this fear of abandonment, which he had toward his, his father, uh, you know, toward, toward, uh, Bruce Wayne, uh, Thomas Wayne. Uh, yeah, Thomas Wayne. So, uh, but like just, a, you know, unstable relationships, there's the primary, aspect of a borderline personality disorder when you when you see them i mean you can look at the symptom list but it's different than when you actually encounter a borderline personality disorder but the primary kind of behavior of a borderline personality disorder is this push pull sort of thing where they do things that are nice and pleasant and entertaining and they try to please you and then as if you get drawn in at all then Boom, they hit you with something they they become explosive and violent and they and they try to suck your emotions in to meet their own needs. And um and so like one of the things that we would always say when we would go onto our units at the hospital is we would see a new patient and we would know right away if we were in trouble because if they said, Oh, you are just the greatest staff ever, we knew that we were doomed. Because they were just setting us up to uh, try to, you know, suck us into negative feelings later on. And a lot of times, borderline personality disorders, they would have 
you know, a common one is you would have these adult women who are wearing Tweety Bird shirts and uh, or other cartoon shirts and just like this very innocent child childish stuff, clown type stuff um, and, and just kind of like this childish kind of stuff that is is so innocent that. It, it kind of sends this message of harmlessness and that's that pull that they have. And if you get drawn into it, then boom, they hit you with something uh, to, to push you away. And, and they, they love chaos. They love um, uh, kind of like uh, g- they get something off of their feelings of emptiness. They, they, it's called secondary gains. They don't like being depressed, but somehow they get something out of it. Also, they like the drama of the story and, and, you know, you look at the Joker's character and he is this borderline personality disorder. And um, it's sort of like what would a borderline personality disorder look like if they got everything that they wanted? And that's exactly what happened with this character is he got everything. He was he was loved, adored by all of these reckless people that were dangerous. And he was causing all sorts of chaos and he was responsible for it. And um, and it's sort of like this uh, revolutionary heart that um, you you just you love the chaos and the revolution more you might not even know what the revolution was about anymore you just love being the revolutionary and being in charge of causing the chaos and and it's just it's it's vacuous and empty and it doesn't lead to any spiritual fruit it it leads ultimately to suffering and that's exactly what you see is is um he ends up bringing about a whole lot of suffering and um and so that's kind of what i was disappointed about is it is it sort of made a hero out of a personality disorder and it's a personality disorder that millions of people struggle with and and this personality disorder causes all sorts of dysfunction and all sorts of ruptures in families and um uh and i hate to see it kind of celebrated you know there's other movies that have done it too girl interrupted was one too that really sort of glorified self-harm and cutting and suicide and stuff like that and and i just kind of viewed this as a similar movie yeah so i i i was wondering about that because like i knew you worked in the mental health field for i'm guessing you don't now but i knew you did for a while yeah so i was wondering if that was playing into like your reaction definitely to it yeah and but but my question though is like because i like i get i get what you're saying because like like i said once he crosses that line like i'm 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 checked out with the sympathetic part and i'm like okay Mm -hmm. like yeah like the chaos is obviously not healthy but yeah leading up to that were you were you feeling that towards his character like towards like say like the first half of the movie you know because it yeah. seemed like to me it wasn't really until he got that confidence boost and towards the end of the film, like after the Thomas Wayne and after he finds out his mom has been lying to him, that he started exhibiting some of those traits. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it, confidence or just um, apathy. Uh, a lot of times apathy can look like confidence because you don't care. You're not worried about the results anymore. And, and I think that a lot of times there's a freedom and a liberation that comes from apathy that looks a lot like confidence. And, um, but it's definitely not the same thing. Uh, confidence is when you trust your own skills and you trust your ability to thrive. Um, 
and and that's where you see like throughout all the story getting picked on by the other clowns and not getting the medications that he needs and it's like you know having a hard time interacting with other people uh and it's like at some point um you know you need to get some help to learn some basic social skills. You need to learn how to stand up for yourself. You need to learn how to confront people who are treating you in ways that you don't want to be treated. But instead of doing all that, you, he just he just allows all of this stuff to happen until he gets to the point where he just doesn't give a, a darn anymore. And, um, and he just does whatever the heck he wants. And that entitlement and that apathy, uh, there is something liberating about it, but it's, it leads to death. Um, to, so, so far I've played, uh, the advocate to Dan, but I'll, I'll reverse course right now. Isn't some of what Rex said earlier that like you, you kind of attributed all of that kind of dissension from, uh, Arthur into the Joker to himself that, uh, he didn't get help or he didn't learn, um, where Rex was saying like what he saw was, Arthur as the least of these and everyone around him instead of encouraging him or helping him to take those steps, they kind of just pushed him down further and further to become what we saw at the end and who we know to be the Joker. Yeah. And I thought that, uh, that point about, uh, him being the least of these was a really good point. And definitely the director kind of played that up i mean you know uh social services are taking away your meds and you right, can't yeah. meet here anymore and all that kind of and then a, a lot of this woe is me all this stuff happening at once um but at the same time i mean he was sort of you know had this very flippant sort of cocky attitude toward the therapist that he did have and uh and he he was just very um disdainful toward her like you always ask me the same questions and and you know and it's like you know well work with her a little bit what kind of questions do you want to talk about and 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 so yeah i think it's true that that you know how we treat the least of these is going to have consequences um but at the same time uh we're all responsible for ourselves and um we're called to seek god over and over and over again because it requires us to take initiative uh it's not easy it's in and we other people can't do the seeking of god for us at some point we have to do that um and and some people's situations are so bad that they they get so beat down that they they don't even have those basic skills and uh and that's unfortunate but those aren't the people that we should be celebrating (laughs) those are the people that we should be helping and i just think making a movie about a person who doesn't take any personal initiative for their social skills um it just sends a a weird message to me that okay so that's my question do you do you feel like and dave you can say this too like do you feel like it was celebrating because i didn't really get that feeling that it was saying like like it felt more like a tragedy than it did like a like a like a hero story like he mm-hmm. was the protagonist but i never really got the feeling that he was the hero yeah i think um i, I don't know maybe i'm wrong about this but the sense i got was the people that he killed were very very characterized um i mean thomas wayne was just like this you know just this heartless rich 
you know, jerk basically. And, and it's like, well, that's not what all rich people are like, you know? And, uh, and the, the talk show host was, you know, just very belittling and, um, and, and so just all that type of stuff. And then, and then, you know, he, he ends up not giving a crap about anything and doing whatever he wants. And he just starts to hurt other people. And, um, and then that sort of escalates to the point where he's dancing on a police car and he's got this adoring crowd who is cheering to him as he spins around with his arms open in victory with this big, you know, painted grin. And, and it just seems like victory to me, like painted in blood too. Like that, that was pretty symbolic. Like it's blood that makes. Yeah. 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 So that's how I viewed it as, as uh, celebrating because he celebrated at the end. Yeah. I, I can see uh, both sides to that question. Um, But like, I think the three of us here uh, on the call, we have the, uh, maturity i don't know if that's the right word but like the emotional maturity to know that we are not to celebrate this type of behavior and this type of personality de-evolution that we see in the movie but just by the nature of making a movie where this character is the protagonist in some way feels like a celebration of that character um and to elaborate on the the point that dan ended on with the the dancing um and this was not an original observation but um because i i wanted to enjoy the movie even after i saw it and so i read a bunch after i watched too um but like his uh dancing becomes much more fluid uh, as the movie goes on and it's kind of like this a symbolic like self-actualization like it's very his dancing and his movements are very like herky jerky and awkward and weird at the beginning but then as he moves from arthur fleck into the joker um it it becomes a a beautiful effect a beautiful effect yes it is a beautiful effect uh, from a film standpoint but it it does also add to the celebratory effect that he's finally finding out who he really is that he's stepping into self-actualization or or whatever and so that feels like it if it's not supposed to be celebrated it could easily be taken as something that is supposed to be celebrated yeah my wife said something like when we were watching it last night that made a lot of sense that i haven't hadn't thought about which is like I mean, not including the violence, but like a lot of what he's doing along the process of the movie is actually very healthy. <laughs> like, like, mm-hmm. like psychologically and emotionally, like the dancing and the like working through like his like whatever is actually relatively healthy. But it's like there is just this twist in him, though, that makes it go dark, you know, and yeah. that's where like and she also said something in a post like when we first saw the movie about how like him being the least of these, like this is where the church needs to step in and be that person for people who are like legit dealing with the kind of life that he had. I mean, like when you find Mm -hmm. out through like that, he'd been like chained to his chained to a pipe by his, like um, by his parents or whatever. And then he's adopted by a mentally ill mom, you know I mean? It's just, all this stuff like and 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 that that is that's the biggest thing that i saw in the movie it's like the absence of 
um, Christ in his life, which is, but is the reason there's no Christ in his life is because the church never showed up. And I know this is just a story, but in this story, that's what we're, I'm assuming that that's what Mm -hmm. happened is nobody came in and got engaged, um, with his life and could have guided him in a way that where he didn't become so destructive and then all these other people wouldn't have lost their lives, you know, just, you know, ripple effects. And, um, it's like that, that beautiful story that Greg tells Dan about the, um, the uh, foster parents who the little girl was like pooping in her bed at night and then like That's wiping right. it on the walls, you know? And it's yeah. like, they went in there and of just being like, why are you doing this? And like, Oh, where you know, they got in there and like wiped the poop on the walls with her and entered into solidarity with her. It's like if Arthur had had someone in his life that like truly did that. And I get what you're saying about like the therapist, like, but she was kind of like presented as just like, just pretty cold, probably working for no money, like been there for a while, just right. jaded. And I get that. But it's like, that's, you know, like, and again, I keep going back to what my wife said, but she says in the post, it's like, where if the church had showed up in his life, it would have been a completely different outcome. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to be there for the least of these, you know, yep. in the form of Arthur Fleck, you know? Yep. Yeah, I think that's my favorite point of the, this entire uh, podcast is uh, the the role of uh, the least of these that Arthur represents. Yeah, I think that that is a good point. And if if we can watch this movie or movies like that uh, with that in mind, that certainly changes uh, the story a little bit because the point is not so much. Uh, to celebrate someone like Arthur Fleck uh, as much as it is to help someone like him before he becomes what we see at the end and to not be uh, almost like the takeaway is not so much about Arthur Fleck at all, but to not be the people that were around him, to not be like Thomas Wayne who has uh, power in every sense of the word. He has power and he does not use that to help the least of these. He uses that to only benefit himself to make sure that he is comfortable um, and his physical power, his financial power, and we are to use our power to help the least of these. Uh, I think that that is, if you watch the Joker and that's your takeaway, then certainly that changes the movie, uh, at least how I was seeing the movie. Mm, Um, Definitely. Did you have any other... uh, general thoughts that you guys had about the movie that you you haven't been able to make yet that you want to i don't yeah i think that like kind of the big points for me yeah. like we're, we're talked about i think yeah. cool yeah i i definitely wanted to play the the personality disorder card and i got i got <laughs> to do that so <laughs> <laughs> um, i i will just say that um because i haven't uh, some of the all of the things that you guys said you liked about the movie. Um, many of those things I would echo. I would say that I liked about them too, but, and we kind of touched on this, but not totally. One of the things that I liked about it was I feel like there has been for a while and maybe I'm aware of it more now because of kind of the, the political atmosphere that we are in. Um, and maybe it's been happening for much longer than that, but there's been a conversation that I've been aware of around Batman recently about how as this um, 
billionaire, as this uh, rich person in this terrible city, that this uh, wealth inequality that is between the Waynes and everyone else, that he is kind of Im- at least implicit in creating the problems that are around. And then he tries to solve them not by addressing the actual issue of like you referenced earlier, Rex pulling people out of poverty, um, but instead by attacking the problems with violence. I like that that even though there Batman was not in this movie, that issue was not just like a Twitter conversation amongst people who either like Batman or like Bernie Sanders, but it was about, it, it was brought to the screen that that idea was now a part of the story. Um, and I don't know if anything will, any further movies or like if that storyline will be played out on the screen at all. But I like that. Uh, it's not just theory that we're talking about anymore, but that was actually on the screen. So that was the one thing that I feel like we haven't like, uh, talked about in in depth anyway uh that i really liked about the movie well and and one more thing to add to that i listened to an interview with michael moore and the director todd phillips and they were actually talking about how joker in a way represents the idea of donald trump which is like i mean you have the rich elites (laughs) like looking down on the quote-unquote deplorables and you do it over and over and over with sort of this haughty, like liberalism and people just get sick of it. And, you know, when somebody shows up <laughs> who's just like doesn't play by the rules, who almost seems like he he's one of them and like stands up for them. It's like they rally behind him. And it's like yeah. that scene you see at the end is like they were like that's kind of like how, you know, like you could look at Donald Trump that way in a way, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, he, people get sick of being like looked down on and yeah. like taken advantage of. And, you know, when you, when we as a society do that, I mean, you could also look at it like the rise of Hitler. I mean, that's what happened in Germany. I mean, like you beat the German people down enough and you say, you got to pay all this back and shame on you for world war one and all this, you're going to have a Hitler. You know, and like that's kind of what happened with Joker. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. And like in even the framework of the movie, like we have talked about what was Arthur Fleck looking for? Like he was looking for someone to just affirm him as a person, Um, Mm -hmm. someone to tell him that he was enough, that he was good. Like that, those are some of the things that he was looking for. And like that, what you described as the pivotal scene, Rex, where he's in the bathroom with uh, Thomas Wayne and Thomas Wayne has that opportunity, but instead literally knocks him down (laughs) further. Um, like we, and, and so then at the end of the movie where he is dancing in victory around all these people, you could view those people as other Arthur Flex who have been looking for someone to say, I'm with you. I will stand up for you. And Mm -hmm. the person who did it was him. And so he, are we to celebrate him? No, but those who feel like him will celebrate him. Mm. If, if someone doesn't step in before and say, Hey, you are enough. Yeah. It's interesting. Like I, uh, watching it from a uh, personality disorder perspective, I thought the most important relationship was between Arthur and the girlfriend because 
here you have somebody who does affirm him and does give him positive attention and does support him, was there at the hospital with him, and that wasn't that it didn't even phase him. He because he even though he needs that, uh, what he really likes and he gets all of his secondary gains from is the instability and the depression and the belittlement and he feeds off of that stuff. He he gets something out of being the least of these and uh he and he doesn't want that threatened and and that's exactly what you see with personality disorders you see people who uh spend every year of their life uh threatening suicide going in and out of hospitals you know in their teens in their 20s in their 30s in their 40s in their 50s uh, i i've worked with people who have been in the hospital you know 312 times and uh, you know all each time for suicidal ideation and suicide attempts and and they're always these superficial suicide attempts they're they're not serious but because the person doesn't really want to kill themselves they just want to be suicidal and and there's something that you like about that and um and so that it's interesting how watching it from my perspective it's like the most important relationship that reveals arthur's character is the girlfriend because but, it sorry hang on though the, hang on hang on sorry so sorry but yeah, yeah, yeah. That, was, that was all imagined Right. Either what, one of us got up and went to the bathroom at the wrong time because now I'm starting to doubt myself. That was all imaginary, <laughs> right, Dave? I don't know. Was it? Well, I, I feel like that was definitely that was implied because I was going to ask the same question. Like I feel like I, I guess at some level I I only watched it once and I watched it a while ago, so I don't remember so clearly. But um, I feel like that was at least implied, if not. Uh, was the definite takeaway that his relationship her, with her was uh, imaginary. Cause it, the scene uh, feel like it's towards the end uh, where he's like in her apartment and mm -hmm. she's like, who are you? Like, what is going on? Because like he knew who she was because she lived in the apartment, but like their interactions that we had seen to that point were all made up and when he goes in there and she freaks out, it's because they have not had any of those hmm. interactions. I see. Well, that changes my perspective then. If I have that's to the delete case. the whole podcast now. What the <laughs> heck? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but well, I think what I, I think mean, I it, show, though, here's, is, here's what I'd recommend. I would yeah. recommend uh, looking at the um, you're reading about borderline personality disorder, and I think you'll you'll see Arthur Fleck with or without that. Yeah, yeah no, that, I, no, I think I, that makes sense. Like what you were saying still makes sense because in mm -hmm. another scenario where someone with borderline personality disorder may be reacting, I mean, I'm sure there would be exactly how you're describing, you know, like that makes, that makes total sense that someone would, even with that stability, what they're really craving is that chaos and like mm -hmm. uncertainty where like, that's what yeah. they get off on or whatever. So like, yeah. I think your point is still valid. I just think like in the movie, I think she was imaginary. That yeah. sucks. Now I feel bad for him. That, I thought that I because I, she went to the comedy club with him and watched uh -huh. his performance, and ah, oh, that sucks. Uh, I do. I think one thing that it does say just about movie viewing in general is like we and 
not to like jump into this rabbit hole right now, but even when we come to scripture, like we bring our experience and our presuppositions with us. Like, I think you saw that because of your experience, whereas Rex and I don't have the same experience as you. And so we did not see it the same way you did. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 but cool. Well, thank you guys. Uh, I really have to pee. So uh, <laughs> we'll end the podcast here.